Nicole. <clears throat> I am David Chan. I am way not famous, uh, although my uh, cousins Jackie and Francis are probably a lot more well-known. Um, not really directly related, uh, but I was formerly missions pastor here at Hillcrest, and for the past five years, our family has been serving in the Republic of Georgia. That's the far Eastern Europe country, not the state of Georgia in the Southeast U.S. Uh, we've been there uh, for five years, and we had been planning a furlough to be back here in the States for the rest of 2020. Um, and of course, with the pandemic, that was in question for a while, whether we would even be able to make it back. Um, and we're currently the ones inhabiting the Birch House here across the way. We've been so extremely thankful. We don't have enough words to say how thankful we are for the love and support that Hillcrest has given to us uh, as missionaries overseas for the past five years and even caring for us while we're here. Um, even though we've served for five years overseas, we've uh, recently announced, if you get our newsletter, uh, our personal newsletter, that we will be reestablishing our family base back here in the U.S. We're no longer going to be going back to Georgia overseas full-time. Uh, there's a lot more to unpack in that, but we have time over the next several weeks and months to continue to update you on that as we seek God's direction for our, our own lives. Um, <clears throat> however, in March of this year, much like all of us, I mean, it's been quite a wild year and certainly not something any of us could have predicted. Uh, we had been hearing with growing concern uh, about this coronavirus, and just like everybody else, we could not imagine the way it would play out and the many, many ways it would impact our world. Uh, we had just finished our last major event, which was a pastor's gathering in Georgia, and you'll see a photo uh, slide of uh, several leaders from the region who had come together. It was the first international missions conference for pastors in Georgia. We were so excited about it. Of course, now everybody's sheltering in place and can't go anywhere, uh, but there are many nations inhabiting uh, or visiting Georgia, so hopefully they're implementing their missions training already on the ground. Uh, we were beginning personally to prepare for our furlough after that first week of March uh, to move here in May when the unexpected hit us, just like everybody else. So we sat and watched and waited to see what was going to happen. We developed new habits of having to carry a mask everywhere, uh, mi minimizing the number of people that could gather together and so on. All of that was happening in Georgia, just like it eventually happened all over the world. And as we did this, we also were wondering, well, um, how will we actually make it back to the U.S.? Travel was severely disrupted. Uh, it, it was interesting when we finally actually got to Amsterdam, the boards that have all the different arrivals and departures, uh, and in Newark where you see the boards that have the, the luggage uh, arrivals were practically empty because there were hardly any flights. So we were very blessed that it worked out for us in the middle of May, to, or early May, to actually board a flight to Amsterdam onto Newark, and then here to the U.S. It was actually kind of nice. We were, um, we were some of about a dozen people on board a Dreamliner 787. So we had a, a wonderful flight back, uh, almost all to ourselves. So uh, it was nothing short of an airline miracle that God worked out for us to get back here. We wanted to be back here because our, our college daughter had already been displaced for several months. Our next daughter was getting ready to go to school this fall. So we needed to be here and help them make those transitions. Uh, so we're really glad it worked out for us to come. But in those months, with so much changing, with travel changing, with the way we do haircuts, with the way uh, traffic even was shut down for two weeks in Georgia, so much was changing, and yet it also caused us to just shelter in place, like so many of us, and, and begin to ask, well, what are we going to do with our time? 
And from March to May, we all began to miss a lot of things, didn't we? We began to miss things that were part of our daily life. And we did a lot of waiting. Uh, We all began to miss friendships. We began to miss gatherings. We began to miss uh, things like March Madness. And when that was canceled, I knew, boy, this has to be serious if even that is canceled. Uh, Eventually, baseball was delayed. Travel was shut down worldwide. Kids were sent home from school. Businesses shuttered. Graduations canceled. Family vacations postponed. I mean, the list just goes on and on of how much has been lost and missed during this pandemic. And it's not a, not a light thing, is it? It's just to, to realize that it has been a season of loss. And while I'm sure there are things that we can look forward to or try to think positively about, it's okay to stop and think about what are the things that we have missed and to be able to mourn those with others. So there were a lot of things lost, a lot of things missed. And it leads to the question that I actually just want to ask you, well, what have you missed the most during this pandemic? Um, What have you missed out on? Or what have you uh, missed that you regret that you wish you could have back? We had a high school daughter graduating, and that got completely turned in the way it was done during these times. I can't believe I heard it, but some kids actually miss going to school. You know, it's funny, we joke about that, that kids may not like the homework or they may not like the long hours, But yeah, that is where they connect with friends. That's where they just grow in many ways. Kids are missing school. Uh, And maybe for some of us who who have different professions, different careers, at first it might have been great. You think, oh yeah, I can work from home in my pajamas. I only have to get dressed from here up for my Zoom call. But even after a while, that gets old, doesn't it? And I've heard people saying they miss their interactions with their coworkers and just going to work and doing the things that you normally do. Uh, That's one thing that stood out to me personally over these last several months is how much I have missed working. Uh, And I'm not just talking about missions or Georgia. Uh, That was already shutting down for us or slowing down for us um, as we were about to prepare for furlough. Uh, But then the the pandemic really began to limit everything we could do. Uh, But I began to to think about how I I can only sit still for so long and I like to do things. But it's not just about being busy. There's actually something wired in us that we like to do things, to be productive, to be fruitful, to accomplish things. And I began to realize that over the last several months, how much I missed that. I realized while rest was a good and necessary part of our rhythm of life, it's one that we have to constantly remind ourselves of, actually, in a very busy world. There's another side to that healthy rhythm of life where rest and work have to go well-balanced, hand-in-hand, and I believe that's how God created us. And that's what we're going to look at here shortly. But before we do, I want to highlight that as Christians, we tend to minimize the value and the godliness of work. What I mean by that is we minimize the value of it because we often assume that it's simply a necessary evil of sorts in life. It's something we have to do in order to provide for our needs. And if we're fortunate enough, maybe provide for even some of our wants. We tend to minimize its godliness also because we assume that it's a necessary evil that perhaps came as a result of the fall and most of us have to work while others perhaps, you know, do the less traditional work, the more traditional ministry things like church work and missionary work and we tend to separate those into two categories. And we tend to see that our work is is maybe less spiritual than those who work in church or ministry, than those who are called to be missionaries. And often we see that our other work is just meant to support what they do. 
So, but the general population gets minimized in the calling of their work. And at best, it's reduced to, well, maybe if I witness for Christ at my job, I've done a good thing. Or if I've been a good Christian, then I've had a good spiritual day. But it's this reductionism of work that I would like to address this morning. And because it's quite a big subject, actually, we're only going to be able to skim the surface over the next 20 minutes. However, we've been given the opportunity to, in September, in the middle of September, have a four-week small group discussion to unpack this idea a little further. But for now, let's get going with Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. And I'm going to read these from the New International Version. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 29, then God said, I give you to humanity every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give them every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord, and may he speak to us and guide our meditation on this this morning. Here we see in Genesis 1, the very first command, the very first mandate that God gives to his human creation. He tells them to be fruitful and increase, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Now, now what does this mean? Because I think sometimes we imagine this as a, as a long-lost creation story or long-ago creation story. It's hard to connect with what's going on in our lives today. But the creation is simply the beginning of human civilization and the plan and purpose that God has for human civilization. So while it speaks of birds and animals and, and fish... It really then, you can, you can extrapolate from that that it leads to everything else in the created order, that God puts humans in charge of stewarding and growing and being fruitful among. And the other thing we notice is that this comes in Genesis 1 before the fall of Genesis 3. So yes, later on we'll see that there's a curse of decay and death in our world that makes everything more difficult. But listen, work is good because God works and because he created it before the fall. In fact, this is the the passage where God says what he has made is very good. The created order and the purpose given to humanity is very good in God's own words. Uh, Maybe if you don't like your work or some people get really sick of their work, maybe it's because you haven't found your best fit, and I, I get that. But be careful not to despise work as some kind of dualistic mistake where we see it as, not important in the sacred because we categorize it in the secular. On the contrary, I think what we'll see here in the scriptures today is that work is very much a part of our sacred calling for each and every one of us, no matter what kind of work you do. So what we see here also in verse 29 and 30 before we move on is we see something really interesting here that, again, we can miss if we're just casually reading it. 
where God gives humans the seed-bearing plants and trees, and he gives to animals uh, just the greens, the ones that don't multiply, but just the things that grow without seed. And I think it's fascinating that he gives us that ability to be producers, not poachers. He gives us the calling to be co-creators, not just consumers. And, and he gives us the seeds so that we can do something with them. We can grow and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And I think, again, that calling uh, extends to everything we do, not just obviously to planting a garden, but to everything we do in our calling. How can we multiply it? How can we grow? I think this is the mandate that God has given us to each one of us. So during this pandemic, I've actually found myself surprisingly missing work, like I said, not just mission work, not just Georgia. But, um, but what we're looking at today is, is not to make light of work, especially in a time right now where just millions of people are without jobs, millions of people don't know where their next paycheck will come from. It's a very unstabilizing time uh, to be missing work. So we don't say that in a way that takes that lightly. Uh, we also don't encourage you to miss work and go to a ball game, mainly because you can't go to a ball game. They don't allow fans in a game. When I'm talking about missing work today, I'm, I want to suggest to you that we're missing uh, a value to it. And perhaps we're even missing that we need to rediscover a theology of work, theology of career and vocation, uh, so that we can understand that that is part of the sacred calling of God in our lives, not just something that we must do uh, and that doesn't matter. So what kind of work are we talking about? I'm talking about just being productive, being creative, adding value. It could be something you get paid for, but it also could be something that you do. Uh, you could take care of, of, of an elderly person. You could be a parent raising your children at home. You definitely don't get paid enough for that, that's for sure. Uh, you, could, you could be contributing by volunteering at a nonprofit organization or at a church or at a school. Uh, there are so many different ways in which we can work that we do things to produce and to add value, to beautify the world around us. And I think these are the things that are included in this idea of a vocation or, a, or a, um, a theology of work that we want to explore today. Uh, I realized again that one of the lessons God continues to embed in me is that we are created to work. Yes, we're created to abide, to have relationship with God, but we're also created to accomplish. There's a, a great example of this uh, in a man named Viktor Frankl. Frankl was a Holocaust survivor and became a psychiatrist as he went through traumatic experiences, which you can only imagine, and realized that that was the way that he could begin to help others. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, he outlines basically two quests that the human heart is after continuously. Uh, the quest for intimacy and the quest for accomplishment. And he says it's in the relationships that we make, the intimacy we seek, and it's in the work we do that meaning finds us. It's in relationships we make and the work we do that meaning finds us. And I believe it's true, and actually not just because he said it, but it reminds me of the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Here Jesus uses an example of a vineyard and work, working in a garden, to help us understand this this dual calling that we have on our lives for relationship, for intimacy, and for accomplishment. He says in John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father, God, is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, so remain in me, or another word is abide, live, dwell in me, as I also abide, dwell, remain in you. Now listen, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And Jesus repeats it. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you hear that? With God, our relationship is created to have intimacy, abiding closeness, and accomplishment, fruitfulness. You will bear much fruit if you remain in me. So we need this, this balance of a rhythm of life, of rest and work, work and rest, and to participate in both as people who are created in the image of God. I suggest to you that work is not a necessary evil. Work is part of our DNA, and it's part of who we are made to be as created in the image of God. Uh, we already saw how in verse 29 and 30, God gives us the capacity to produce and to multiply. And in John 15, again, Jesus says he, he values production. He values multiplication. He values growth. And he wants us to be fruitful. Uh, I, I do believe, I don't only believe that it's important to stress that we're made to work, but in doing so, we have the potential. We have a great potential to minister to God and to humanity through our work. I want to give you an example of this. Uh, may, you may recognize the name Oz Guinness. Oz Guinness is an English author, a social critic, Christian thinker, a cultural interpreter. He really does a great job of bringing a biblical worldview into everyday life. He was born to medical missionaries in China in 1941. And a fun fact, his great-great-great-grandfather, was the Dublin, Ireland brewer named Arthur Guinness, for whom the Guinness beer is named after. Um, so Oz Guinness comes from this, this, this heritage, but how did uh, he come to be part of a Christian family? He tells a story that when his great-grandmother was 18 years old, she came into a, a, a very desperate, distraught situation. Her husband had died in a duel, and she had nothing. She had nowhere to go, nowhere to live. Um, she began to cont contemplate suicide. And she walked up to a riverbank knowing that she could not swim. And she planned to drown herself. And as she was planning to do that, her gaze happened to look up. And across the river, she saw a field that her neighbor had plowed. And Oz Guinness tells a story that she reflected on that moment. And it captured her attention so much that she said, the neighbor was meticulous. He was absorbed in his work, and he was skilled. He displayed such a pride in his work that the newly turned furrows looked as finely executed as the paint strokes on an artist's canvas. She looked up and saw a well-plowed field, and she stopped and realized something was amiss in her decision and that there was actually something to live for, that actually out of chaos, order could be made. In a moment of darkness, light could shine. Oz Guinness says that she was saved because of a job well done. Think about that. 
someone plowing their field, not even thinking about the potential impact it could have, the way it could minister to somebody else, yet doing a job well because that's what they're called to do. And it saved the life of a woman and perpetuated a, a great generation of Christian thinkers. He goes on to say that calling, the things that we're called to do, transforms life so that even the commonplace and the menial tasks are invested in the splendor of the ordinary. It's a great example of how someone's simple task, someone simply doing something ordinary, uh, could be a ministry to God and to somebody else. But I'm afraid that the church in modern times has done a great disservice to the people of God and to the world around us by undervaluing the vocation of every believer as somehow less spiritual and therefore less important in the kingdom of God. Other than maybe saying, oh, well, it pays the bills for real ministry or occasionally witnessing at your job without getting fired. No, your vocation is your vocare, which is the Latin word that comes from. And vocare means a calling. It's a calling. It's an invitation to fulfill your destiny, to fulfill your purpose, to live out your skills in a way that contributes to the world. And who does the calling? It's not your boss. It's not the headhunter. It is God himself, the creator of the universe, who calls each and every one of us into a vocare. And within that vocation, we are called to represent the king and his kingdom values to know him and make him known, to abide and be fruitful. And here's the beauty of it. He calls people everywhere so that no sphere of human society is left untouched by the hands of the children of God. Did you catch that? He calls people everywhere so that you can represent kingdom values, you can contribute and bring beauty, bring order, bring delight into that sphere in which you are involved for the honor and glory of God and for the good of others. God loves to call people on purpose into every vocation in life. So whatever it may be, whether it's the non-paying jobs or whether it be your career in education, in government, in healthcare, in engineering, in science, wherever it is that you're called to, uh, you can make a powerful difference. Not just being a good Christian witness, but actually doing what you're called to do as unto the Lord, with excellence and for the good of others. It reminds me of one of my favorite uh, uh, characters in history, George Washington Carver. He was a scientist, a chemist. Uh, he was actually born in the, sometime in the 1860s. We don't know the exact date in which he was born uh, because he was born into a slave family not far from here, just south near Joplin, Missouri. And so born into a slave family, they didn't record his exact date of birth he, the, the family was, the slave owners were the Carver family. So for a long time, after his parents died, he was adopted by the Carver family. And they just called him, well, that's the Carver's George. Well, he eventually just changed his name to legally George Carver. And he was an incredibly motivated young man, overcoming incredible odds that after, um, after the Civil War, when he was able to obtain his freedom, uh, he went on to study, and he tried to get into schools, but of course at that time, young black students were not allowed into the same schools as others. So, but he continued to study, he continued to grow, until he became a, just a thoroughly knowledgeable scientist and chemist. He's been known to be one of the most influential 
chemists and scientists of the 20th century, early 20th century. And he excelled so much that he eventually was admitted into Iowa State University as the first black student. But one of the things I love about George Carver is that he just had a mind for God, and he knew that God had created him and everything in the created order for a purpose. And so he tells a story that, he, that one day he's asking God if he can understand the universe so that he can learn how to, how to work it and how to explain it to others. And he says that God tells him, no, George, I'm sorry. That's way too big of a question for your small mind. And he begins to ask for lesser and lesser things until he finally says he got to the peanut. And he said, God, would you tell me the secrets of the peanut? And he says that God says, okay, this is a small enough thing that actually fits your mind. Let's talk about it. And this is, of course, just his way of saying that his God-given skills in chemistry and knowledge and science allowed him to explore the peanut so that he eventually became a developer of over 300 patents of how to use the peanut. Now, it's actually uh, a fable that he created peanut butter. Peanut butter was actually already around before him. But he created 300 other patents of uses for the peanuts. And in the early 1900s, what this did is it actually helped farmers in the South uh, rotate their crops and do something different with their land when cotton was failing. And he actually revolutionized a struggling farming industry. But simply because he believed that the work that God had called him to do had value and had importance and could make a difference in the world around him. So no matter what you do, God calls you on purpose into your vocation in life. I want to leave you with one more example that really began to bring this home to me several years ago. I, I knew three high school young men, and they were great exemplary boys, faithful to God, faithful to church, uh, great leaders. And at the end of their high school years, um, two of them felt called into vocational ministry, you know, the kind of a typical church type of ministry. And they were going to go to Bible college in order to fulfill that calling. And so what the church that they were a part of did is they found out and they brought them to the front and they prayed for them and said, hey, these guys are called into ministry. They're going to Bible college. Let's pray for them and commission them into the work of God. Well, what happened with the third guy? The third guy was just as spiritual, just as good, just as called, but he felt called to something different. He felt called to physical therapy and to help children with special needs. And yet that was not something that was affirmed or commissioned in that context. And so as we had this conversation, I began to realize, wow, he needs to hear that his calling is just as integral to the purposes of God, is just as important for the kingdom of God to grow in this world as anybody else. Fifteen years later, he's not a physical therapist, but I followed his life and he's continued to live in everything he does uh, for the glory of God, understanding that God has called him to these things. So wh what can we take away from this? I'd like to give you four keys to, to, um, to take with you and to hopefully remember uh, in this context. The first is that we reflect our creator when we rest and when we work. I want you to know this. I want you to see that abiding and fruitfulness balance that John 15 tells us about, but that we reflect God when we rest, when we abide, and also when we work. Both are crucial in our reflection of God in the world. Second key is that work enables us to be fruitful, that in our work we can actually be fruitful, that being fruitful isn't just what Galatians 5 says, it's being loving and patient and kind. Those are definitely part of of who we become as Christians. But being fruitful also includes the things you do. In fact, 32 out of 37 parables that Jesus spoke about 
included work-related things. Jesus speaks very plainly and directly to the things we do every day and how much they matter. Work enables us to be fruitful. The third key is fruitfulness increases our capacity, enabling us to contribute to the world. God wants us to be good at what we do. He wants us to get better. He wants us to multiply it. He wants us to share it and to increase our capacity to contribute to the world around us. Again, these are things that we can dive into further uh, in our September discussion group. And the last key, the fourth thing, is that you are commissioned into your place of work, into your vocation, your sphere of influence. And as you labor there, you minister for three Gs. This should be easy to remember if you think of three G. You minister for the good of others, for your own growth, and for the glory of God. And you do this by doing a job well done, by focusing on what you've been called to do and doing it for the glory of God. So let me encourage you, don't miss your work. In other words, don't miss the wonderful things that God wants to say and do in and through you in whatever place you labor. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you that you created all of us and you have invited us to journey in this life with you and to be part of of being co-creators with you in the world. So Lord, I pray for each person watching or listening today that, that you would encourage them, that the things that they enjoy doing, the things that they've been called to do or the things that provide for them, it's not just a necessary evil, but it's part of their DNA that we're called to work and that we can actually find fulfillment, we can find satisfaction, we can find your delight, your pleasure, uh, if we seek it from the right perspective. So I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us and inspire us, help us to realize that everything we do can matter. We don't know how it's all going to matter in the end. We don't know if, if our work will actually save a life. But we do know that you will work all things for the good of those who love you. We do know that you've called us to do things uh, that will be for the good of others and for your glory and for our own growth. So Lord, give us this perspective. Uh, Keep us from duality of sacred and secular and help us to realize that as children of God, uh, we bring the sacred into everything we do. And we'll thank you and praise you for this in Jesus' name.